everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Tessa, and today on our panel, we have Alex. Hello. Ari. Hello. Oscar. Hello. Is that a question? It's not a question. (laughs) (laughs) Special guest panelist, Janelle Pizarro. Hi. And finally, our guest for today is Josh Como. Why, hi there. My name is Josh. I've been a software developer for a handful of years now. I've worked at places like Khan Academy and DigitalOcean and Gatsby, and I've been pursuing the track of the independent educator for the past year and a half. Awesome. So Josh is here to talk about CSS. He said that we should talk about whether CSS is tricky, and I feel like that's an easy solution. We just asked Chris Coyer to shut down his blog. But other than that, (laughs) what do you all think about CSS? Okay, I'm going to go first. I friggin' love CSS. I'm not in the, you know, group of people who are CSS haters. I consider like CSS to be like a fundamental part of like my friend and development. There's nothing that feels better than literally flexing on the haters. (laughs) Like I don't even write flex grow. Okay. I just write flex one because it's just like i love that it's it's so good (laughs) i'm in the pro css camp wow using up all three of your flex jokes in one minute (laughs) oh they're coming they're coming (laughs) you can tell he was he was waiting for this opportunity for like decades (laughs) was born for this really (laughs) i i tend to float back and forth on my opinion wow another layout joke boo Ah! (laughs) Oh, goodness. It's going to be a long episode. (laughs) A very long episode. (laughs) I mean, we can get political. Do you float left or do you float right? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Ding, ding. How about you, Ari? I wish I had a better mastery of CSS. One of those things where, like, I know that it's super powerful, but it often seems opaque to me. See what I did there? Another style joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's one of those things. Like, over time, I'm definitely improving, but there's always so many things to learn as a front end developer. And now that I'm also full stack, I only have so much bandwidth, and I'm not great at CSS, but I get by with a little help from Flex. <laughs> okay, Let's <I'm> go. <laughs> and you, Janelle? This feels very much like a play, and I have no idea why, and I'm sure it'll come to me. But I love CSS. It makes my soul smile. I love CSS and HTML. Together, they make me very happy. And yeah, I would prefer to use CSS over JavaScript any day of the week. Ooh. So yeah, we'll love me some CSS. No flex jokes. Okay, Is that you like a, had like a sad Oscar. Day I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've enjoyed being on the show, everyone. <laughs> yeah, this is officially a no flex zone. So, oh no, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> it's like that Twitter meme where like, what's the one bug that you would apply to a job? Get in, open a PR for that bug, and then quit. Like Oscar just wanted to join the show to make his flex jokes, and now he's going home. yeah i mean i think i've talked on the show before about how i used to play with html and css for a while as a as a hobby 
I wouldn't say I'm necessarily good at CSS either, but like Janelle, I definitely find working with CSS more, I guess, like hooking or something than JavaScript. Like if I'm debugging something in CSS and I'm debugging something in JavaScript, they could be equally annoying. But for some reason, the CSS is like annoying in like an invigorating way where it's giving me stamina to like figure out what's happening and equal turns excitement where with JavaScript, a lot of times it can be like, there's 5 million files, go try to find the right file that it's in. So... But uh, Josh, what are what are your thoughts on CSS, if you have any? Yeah, it, it's interesting because, you know, I started doing web development in like 2006, 2007-ish, and I started with HTML, CSS, and I've been writing HTML and CSS much longer than I've been writing JavaScript, but I never felt fully comfortable with it. Like I was able to get things done and get things built. But every now and then it's like the thing doesn't do, you know, the box is in the wrong place. The element isn't doing what I want. And it's just like, oh, well, <laughs> I guess this is the layout I'm stuck with now. I felt like there was a bunch of stuff happening behind the curtain. And without being able to see what's going on back there, every now and then you just you fall in a pit and just like throw Stack Overflow CSS snippets at it until maybe you get what you want. And so I, I spent a few years really with JavaScript. And you know, JavaScript too can definitely uh, lead to similar feelings. But at least you get an error message. Like It may not be the most helpful one, but it's something. <laughs> and so maybe like five years ago, four or five years ago, I decided that I was sick of how uncomfortable I felt with CSS. That, that looming sense, like the sword hanging over your head that at any moment could fall down and send you into like a day or week long CSS spiral. So I started trying to really understand CSS and I really, really kind of enjoy the language now. Like it's become probably my favorite part of doing web development. So yeah, I, I'm a big CSS fan. I love all the CSS fans in the room. That makes my soul smile so much. That was like the most heartwarming thing I've ever heard about CSS. <laughs> it's a wonderful language and it is kind of sad when you go on Twitter and you just see so much CSS hate. And at the same time, I can understand it just because I was there myself, maybe not as vocal, but certainly feeling that frustration of not knowing why it wasn't doing what I want and not feeling like I had any sort of recourse to try and get it to do what I want. I feel like there are so many people who hate on CSS, but they hate on it in a way that they're like, oh, it's not that hard, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like that. I mean, if you don't think CSS is like at least challenging, I don't think you know CSS personally. <laughs> I feel like it's always a combo of it's not that hard, plus it sucks. Yeah, and I'm like sounds like it's hard. Yep. I feel like TypeScript is the same way. Where when you your day one with TypeScript is like, oh, I have a function and it takes a number, so I'm gonna add like colon number and it returns a string, so I add colon string, and everything is so nice and in place. And if you spend a day with TypeScript, you might come away thinking TypeScript is easy. But then you try using it in a real project with real world data, and it becomes you get these error messages that have scroll bars in them, and <laughs> it just becomes completely impossible. I think CSS is the same thing. Where you know, color red, background color yellow. It's like, oh, this is nice and simple. Now try building like a fully responsive, robust, accessible website. <laughs> it's a bit of a different story. So I feel like a lot of the people that say that it's easy have just not really gone deep enough with it to understand what makes it so tricky. Yeah, I mean, the difference is TypeScript was a mistake, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! The spice <laughs> level is high. It is not pepper today. So I think for sure it's it's also kind of like weird to feel, especially as people who use CSS 
on the day to day and all the time, how you can sometimes kind of look at yourself and be like, well, you know, the CSS is like the first thing that people kind of dive into when they're learning like front end. They're like, oh, I'm going to change the text to orange because it can, right? So you kind of are like, well, this is day one stuff for people. And like usually like at boot camps or learn on your own pace kind of thing, people stop kind of growing past day three of CSS. And they're like, all right, done. I learned all the color changing things I could possibly do. And so you're like, well, I work with that on a day-to-day basis and have been doing so for five, 10, however many years, right? And you're like, okay, am I okay? Is, is everyone else okay? Do you all need hugs? Like what's going on? <laughs> I mean, I feel like also when they're teaching this stuff, a lot of people will be like, oh, CSS is really hard and annoying and like just overwrite everything, but also don't use important. And then they don't even teach you the tricks that you need to like not use important. And so I feel like it's also kind of, there are a lot of things in programming that I feel like probably aren't really that complicated inherently but people keep on saying it's complicated and so somehow that colors the way that people learn about it and so it's like a perpetuating cycle and I feel like CSS is another one of those things there are definitely things that are complex about it but also the didactic experience can be pretty terrible yeah I think another thing that I'd add to is this plagues CSS JavaScript these languages that you're learning as sort of like starter programming. It's not because these things are easy, right? It's because these things are accessible. If I want to start writing some JavaScript, if I want to start writing some CSS, that's something I can do from pretty much any computer ever just by opening a browser, right? That's why we're starting out with these things. It's not really to do with the complexity. I can guarantee you (laughs) that CSS is going to be far more complex than a lot of other systems of styling that we could possibly have. I think the other thing too is that, you know, CSS, it it suffers the same, not problem, problem is too strong of a word, but the same situation that we can't really change the language. We can only ever add to the language because we don't want to break websites from 1995. And so what we wind up is actually like six or seven different languages. Like CSS is broken into these different layout algorithms like Flex and Grid and Float and all the other different layout algorithms that all kind of build on each other and can be used together. But I feel like if we were able today to design a new language without any of the constraints and the history, I don't know that we would do it this way. And so I think that it does add to the complexity that we have all of these different systems that kind of operate independently, but still interact with each other. And you have to learn all the different rules for how all the different properties affect all these different systems. It can be kind of a lot. Not to like segue too much, but I'd love to get your take on what would you change about CSS if you could? And then as a follow-up to that, how are people dealing with you know new features being added to CSS? What do you think have been the most successful additions to CSS and, and what are some of the least successful ones? Goodness, I can say so many things in response to that question. I do think that right now is an incredibly exciting time to be a CSS person because so many amazing things are right on the horizon. Like we're getting nesting, so we won't have to use SAS for that. We're getting container queries, which is the idea that rather than having your conditions being based on the size of the viewport, it can be based on their parent container, which makes so much sense in a component world, the one that we live in now. The rate of change, like things are happening in the language and it's really exciting. 
In terms of what I would change, if I had the magic wand, maybe I would consolidate flex and grid and goodness, how am I forgetting the name of the like OG layout, uh, flow layout? I would maybe like put those three things together and find a way to make it work like that. But of course, that's not a realistic, you know, that's, there's no criticism of anything anyone is doing. It's just if I had a magic wand and could like, starting today, we have a brand new language, I might do things a little bit differently. But I also, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, people much smarter than I am are working on the language. So I don't, I, I might think I know better, but I might actually make something much worse. And that's, I think, a common thing with CSS is so many of the things that make it frustrating you can only understand why they're frustrating when you try to think about how else they could be done. Like Z-index and stacking contexts are this really confusing topic that can throw a wrench into your gear. But then you realize, wait a minute, if I didn't have all these constraints, how would any of this work? And it wouldn't really. Like you run into these impossible situations. Another example, and maybe people have run into this. If you set overflow X hidden, let's say, so you're saying anything on the horizontal axis, I don't want to show it. I want to add like maybe a scroll bar or just truncate it. And then you realize, shoot, now I've made it so you can't have like a standard overflow in the Y axis. So if something goes below the box, it gets cut off. And you think, well, that's a silly constraint. But then when you think like, when you start digging into like how scroll containers work, you realize that there's no way for that to work in terms of like an element being placed at the threshold. Like what would happen if you have something in the bottom right corner? <laughs> would, it off, would it be cut in half so that you see the bottom half of it overflowing? So like a lot of the things that make it frustrating, and I realize this is maybe not the easiest thing to explain verbally. I, if I drew this, it would make sense. It's just a matter of like, it's tricky, but it's the simplest way we can do it, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think to your point is when you're saying that there are all these cool new things and it's exciting right now. It's like the most exciting time to be a CSS dev right now. It's really cool to understand kind of where you've come from to where you are now uh, with CSS. So you kind of like look back at like things and you're like, wait, we floated things? Like, why did we float <laughs> things? Like, we floated everything. We had to figure out what clear was and what it did and why and what purpose was it for? Like, that's amazing. And then you're like, now you use Flexbox and Grid and you're like, this is so much better, right? <laughs> so I think that also kind of helps and could for sure be like, oh, okay, this is, this is why things were written that way because people had to suffer beforehand. <laughs> so like, now we've eased people's suffering. And so day by day goes and you're like, less suffering. This is great. I love less suffering. I think I usually prefer SAS suffering, but or to be specific, SCSS suffering. Um, I mean, well, Tessa, it was really nice having you on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think if I could be king for a day or like if CSS could introduce aliasing for their built in keywords, I would like to change justify and align because who remembers the difference between them? Okay, Ari is raising your hand. <laughs> okay, so Ari, I know you didn't say anything, and like I hear you, but when that flex direction changes, <laughs> and I have to remember that these properties friggin' swap, <laughs> like, it kills me. I mean, honestly, if I was going to change anything about CSS, I would say it should have had a way to deal with scroll bars from the get-go. Mmm, spicy. I would have thought you would have said something like it would enforce Comic Sans on everybody's website or something. You have to have the contrast of having websites without Comic Sans to websites that do have Comic Sans. Without darkness, there is no Correct. light. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I also think it's helpful context, right? Like CSS, the web, when CSS was a new thing, was primarily document-based. Like it wasn't really for applications. We had desktop applications for that. It was really about what makes sense in terms of formatting text and images. How can we make something that can display a Microsoft Word document? And so with that, it's like, oh, floating makes sense because you do that in Word. And it's just as frustrating in Word when you drag (laughs) the image to the side and the text gets all thrown all over the place. And then it's like people started trying to build applications with this thing and layouts and I think I heard that CSS was never in, designed for layouts. Like initially, people thought you would use the HTML for layout, and CSS would be the purely cosmetic, like colors and backgrounds and stuff like that, uh, with maybe a little bit of layout or like position tweaking. So I think that, like, given that that's how it started, and we couldn't change it, <laughs> we had to build something on top of it. It is like to Janelle's point. It's so nice that we have these modern layout algorithms that are designed for applications and that serve the purpose really well. Yeah, and I think I heard from Miriam Suzanne that like at that point in time, Yahoo was trying to compile a list of every page on the internet. So I guess the idea was you could go to yahoo.com and just see like every page in existence theoretically. That is wild. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, I think also I feel like around that point too, there was you still like there was somebody who manually maintained the list of domain names or something like that like there was somebody who like manually had like a thing that they would update like a list somewhere that may have been earlier though i want to talk to that person in real life like how was that what did you use to organize it pen paper was it notepad how how did that work what was your process (laughs) so i started doing light web development in the early 2000s. Like I was doing HTML and CSS in the early 2000s. And so it's interesting for me because I remember a lot of the weird hacky things you had to do to make things look nice. And now you do dark web development. And now, and now I do hacky things to make them look bad. But like rounded corners and stuff where it's like, oh, we want rounded corners. And like it used to be that you would do like, okay, you set a before and you set an after and each one of those has a background image of a rounded corner. And then like you have a div and then you have a div and then you have a div. And you have another one that has like the bottom rounded corners. Then you have like your border that goes across the middle of it. It was a whole thing. You don't have to do that anymore. It's great. But I would argue that really nothing about your approach changed because the things that you do to make your sites look quote unquote bad now are the same things that you did to make your site look quote unquote good then. Yeah, maybe it's just a change in perspective. Yeah, I think it's it's more, <laughs> I lean more into the like, okay, yes, I'm going to just find some random property and lean heavily into that property for what I'm doing and see how we can abuse it and not care about how it looks. And a lot of times you get really interesting results, like breaking people's browsers. If you rotate things too many times, don't put a hundred divs inside of each other and just do star with a rotate transform because it gets weird. (laughs) That sounds lovely. I think for me, one of my struggles is, I mean, I think layouts are hard, but maybe... That's partly because I think a lot of times the layouts I'm trying to accomplish are truly hard. You know, when you're trying to write CSS for a layout of a number of items that could vary widely, but you still want to look good in every single scenario, that is a difficult problem to solve. But then I also start to struggle with the fact that there is this massive interdependence on your HTML structure. For me, that's where things start to break down. 
if my HTML could be just this, you know, very one dimensional structure all the time, that would make life a lot easier. But the reality is, is that a lot of frameworks force us into a structure that doesn't necessarily lend itself well to CSS. I think this is the point where someone jumps in with BEM is the solution, and then I hiss a little bit. (laughs) But yeah, I think it's hard to get good at CSS. And the lack of error messages is frustrating. But I think it's also tied to, although maybe not inherent to the intention of CSS, at least as Miriam describes it, which is that like the whole idea with CSS and HTML is that it's supposed to degrade gracefully so that if something isn't supported on your browser or isn't working right, you still have workable content. And if you contrast that to JavaScript, I mean, I think that all programs should just be one giant switch case, but that's obviously not the situation there. (laughs) So it's supposed to either work or not work. So it's like a very different paradigm. So I would love to hear more about how one does get better at CSS and more comfortable handling the types of dynamic situations that Ari was talking about. But before we do, Oscar has a very special question for everyone in the room. Yeah, can we just go around and can everyone just tell me a little bit about their favorite CSS property? Sorry, I had caffeine today. (laughs) I'll go ahead and go first. My favorite property is current color. I feel like I learned about current color like way too late in like my dev career. But yeah, I mean, if you don't know what it is, it's a, a sick property that can set something to whatever the current color attribute is set to, which is fantastic for like fills uh, and things like that instead of having to just duplicate the color a bunch of times. So it's super dope. It's my favorite one. This is very on the spot. Can I just say my favorite CSS thing? Oh, absolutely. Have to say my favorite? Okay. That's definitely what Great. I'm trying to do. Awesome. <laughs> So my favorite CSS thing in general is variables. I love variables because I don't like to remember things because my brain only has enough capacity to know every single Ariana Grande song and that's it. I don't have time (laughs) to actually memorize what things are supposed to be. Your brain sees a CSS variable and is like, thank you, next. Yeah, exactly. I don't want. So like, I love variables because they make my life easier, I think, for sure. I love being able to just be like, okay, I don't have to remember anything. I just have to know that, you know, I don't have to know what different colors of black we have and what their purpose is and whatnot. I could just be like, I know that these kinds of texts are supposed to be this color black. So I just say text black and it's done. I don't have to deal with it. And it's lovely. Yeah, the days of having to memorize random six-digit hexadecimal numbers is over, which is nice. Yeah, uh, so beautiful. I was also going to say CSS variables is my favorite feature. And I also, uh, I think a lot of developers who have not yet adopted CSS variables have not yet adopted them because they use something like SAS that has variables. But CSS variables are wildly different and super impressive because they exist at runtime, right? So with CSS or with SAS variables or less or any other preprocessor, it gets preprocessed and then you wind up with a hard-coded bit of CSS in your, like when it's actually running in the browser. CSS variables are dynamic and responsive. And so you can change them with JavaScript or you can do like calculations with them. You can mix them with percentages with calc. So you can do things like have this thing be 100% of the size minus this random CSS variable that can change over time. Uh, You can do all kinds of cool things. You can build color palettes that are then user changeable. It's super, super cool. And I suppose I would also say that my favorite CSS property, if I wanted to really follow, to color within the lines of the question, 
would be transformed because it's like seven different properties in one and you can do all kinds of cool things with it. It's really transformative. Of course. (laughs) My favorite CSS thing is a trick I first learned from Chris Fritz. And it is when you need to override important one quick or not override important because you can't do that. But like if you need to override something and don't want to use important, one quick way to do that is in your selector, just repeat the class name of the thing you're trying to grab and then keep on adding another class name until it overrides the style that you need to. (laughs) I know, Oscar, isn't it amazing? I didn't know about this. We had a this is why in our code base I, <laughs> in a at a former job we had a mix in for SAS that I had made where I was called more spe- I called it more specific and you could make a selector and you could be like okay I need to make a selector and I need it to be five times more specific so that we could override Vuetify styles so it was a shorthand so and it would just repeat the class name five times and it would make something more specific you could just be like more specific a hundred and it would do it a hundred times there we go. I, I feel like this angers the CSS gods because <laughs> it's like I thought we made things more specific by writing more specific. Well, styles. okay. If you want to be, if you want to start getting into really fun specificity stuff, if you want to make sure that your stuff is all more specific, what you do in SAS is that you just wrap everything and you put everything within a thing that does colon root colon root colon root, and you will automatically have a root selector three times in front of everything that you do. And so it will cascade into the rest of everything else and you will be very specific. You know, I'm so glad that CSS engines these days can actually cache that garbage. (laughs) Yeah, I am once again asking, how do you kick someone from a recording? (laughs) I remember, though, once I was prepping for a front-end job at, like, a thing place, and they were like, yeah, the questions are are all going to be, like, vanilla JavaScript and then CSS questions. So I looked up the CSS specificity table. I think there's also a video on on front-end masters. And, like, I learned how that worked. And then they were like, oh, you're, like, the most informative informed person we've ever interviewed on CSS. And I was like, okay. But in reality, when CSS pros are doing this stuff, how active is that knowledge? I mean, I would say that one of the great things in my mind about this like modern component world we live in is that we can sidestep a lot of these issues, right? So the way that I structure my applications is I have global styles, but I'm very careful to never other like maybe overwriting some weird library that I want to tinker with. That's still a bit of a mess, but I'll have my global styles that are like baselines, right? Here's what my headings should look like. Here's what my paragraphs. I want to change the like box model. So I'll put box sizing border box on everything baselines. And then the only other place that can style a given element is the component that owns that element. So if I have a button component, I have button styles associated with that component. And then I only have two places in my entire application that can style a given element. And because the global styles are so unspecific, it's all tags and stuff. I never have like, oh, I have this weird style that I have to override. It's always, you know, I have baseline button styles. And then for my button component or my toggle button component or whatever else, I just write a little chunk of CSS and... All of a sudden, this whole category of problems has disappeared, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I feel like that's one really nice thing about Vue is that we have our component styles almost built into the paradigm. But I, I've seen a lot of things like I've worked at places where we have to do that and BEM or like we've we've had Vue, but then we have our CSS files in like a separate folder and we just opt into the classes and just 
But I don't think we heard about Ari and Alex's favorite properties yet. I'm going to astonish people with mine because it is not font. It is box shadow because you can do more terrible things with box shadow than you can with font. Yeah, I was going to say that seems on brand. Yeah. <laughs> like what? Oh, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> we don't have like three days for each episode, Josh. Because <laughs> you can make a box shadow go anywhere. So it it'll go. Mm. But you'd be like, yeah, no, go 200% over that way. You'll have a random shadow over there. No reason. No reason at all. Shouldn't be there. Shouldn't be up. Why is it over there? I don't know, but it is. It's great. I love it. I know that when you see those CSS art and it's like a single div and it's a Monet painting, that's like all box, like box shadow. That's like box shadow and background yeah. image where you're doing like radial, where you're doing like gradients, linear gradients and yeah, stuff. Gradients yeah, gradients too. I think this episode might give Ari a headache and I don't know who scored more points in contributing to that. Oh no, I was just thinking about a time when I horribly abused box shadow and it oh. felt dirty it feels dirty but in a good way do you want to share with the class sure so is that a css joke <laughs> the <laughs> tessa <laughs> i wanted to do an outline on a close button which was just an x but i didn't like that it went around the actual box as opposed to the x itself so <laughs> I just horribly abused box shadow to make an outline. There was like, I don't know, 12 different box shadows involved. <laughs> it was really bad. The good old days. I will say that uh, that exact problem has a solution now, which is filter drop shadow. It will automatically contour to whatever the opaque contents of an element is. Which is very handy, like if you want to do like a drop shadow type thing on a transparent PNG, it will do that. Yep, it'll pick the contents of the image. It's also great for like if you have a tooltip and you have the little triangle that sticks out the bottom, it'll just wrap around that triangle. Those triangles what? are like the bane of everyone's existence, I think. Yeah, no, I'm like, I wish I could drop shadow my tooltips, but uh, the triangle. I mean, I wish we could also just yeet tooltips off the face of the planet, but. I agree. Highly agree. I know. I'm, I'm very curious about this. So, so tooltips are most of the time not super accessible. That's why I don't like tooltips. But that's yeah, both me. that and they're also just a really bad user experience, I feel like, and really easy to abuse for bad design yeah. decisions. Don't hide content from the user. Yeah, like that's usually what it's for, right? You're just like, yo, I designed this. <laughs> it's kind of bad. <laughs> so <laughs> let me just well, add a little tooltip here. So when <laughs> when users come to my app and they're like, yo, this UI is friggin' garbage. They can click on this, on a this little button and, and learn what it's doing. <laughs> gonna... Okay, but let me propose a scenario and Ooh. you tell me if there's a better way to do it. A table that has data where the methodology behind the data is important. So do I either have a really long column header or do I have a tooltip on it? You have a footnote. It? Why not a table caption? Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking. Table yeah. captions. And even if you don't want to use a real table caption, I think it's even a display property. I think you can like have a div and just be like display table caption. <laughs> I don't know what a table caption Yeah, I mean, it's just like a caption for your table. Yeah, that's where 
I yeah, that's where I would chat. implement some form of like footnote thing to be like, put a little one next to the thing and be like, here's a link to the information about it. You can read it like how this information is relevant so that semantically there's a connection. Is that actually a preferable user experience though, forcing them to go to somewhere else? I think I would prefer it like if it was like a, a whole page of like all of the different methodologies and it just linked me to the relevant ones, so I could start reading about that right away and then scroll through the other ones if I wanted or something, because I would probably have additional questions, I think, if it was the amount of info that could fit inside a tooltip. We recently had to implement the actual little info icon because they weren't even reading the tooltips. So we had to be like, hey, there's a tooltip. You should probably look at it before you start complaining about this. Thanks. So I wonder if that's maybe a point where you look at what is actually being served to the user. So like, what is this data? What does the user actually want to see? What do they need to see? And maybe we address that. Yeah, no, it's absolutely a combination. But <laughs> no, and we did. We did have to look at our methodology and, you know, question is the methodology really leading us to to the right results? And in some cases, the answer was no. But in some cases, it was just like they needed to actually read and understand that this was not a risk-adjusted number. Yay, healthcare. Yay, healthcare. <laughs> I feel like if it's something that they have to know, then a tooltip is not a good place for it, personally. Because I often ignore them. But Ari, were you saying that y'all had tooltips for your tooltips? Oh, oh, that would be amazing. No, no. I am now going to make a website that just has like a little info icon and you hover over it or you like activate it. And then it has like a box inside of it that has information. But then there's another tooltip within that tooltip. And then just have like infinitely spawning tooltips inside of tooltips. Every screen reader user hates you now. <laughs> Screen readers hate I am him. going to, but I will make it accessible. Challenge accepted. Gross, but make it yeah. accessible. Great. Five <laughs> things accessibility experts don't want you to see. That is, you clearly have not, have not met me before. That is my entire thing. Gross, but accessible. Everybody gets an unpleasant yeah, Alex, experience, <laughs> but it's an understandable unpleasant it. experience. Alex, just because you put are you live polite doesn't mean it's actually nice, okay? Oh no, no, no. It's not gonna oh. be polite. Oh no, 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 no. We're we're it's gonna it's gonna be the aggressive assertive, assertive. one, yeah. <laughs> you hover over a tooltip. Hey <laughs> I am angrily accessible. <laughs> when you hover over a tooltip, can instead go, oh baby. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's in your screen reader settings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to make a game that's only navigable through tooltips and nobody will like it. <laughs> the bane of the internet. I mean, I, own, I really, when I make a game, I try to make a game that's like antagonistic to the player. So I don't know why I'm allowed to make websites that honestly sometimes. <laughs> One of the first like programming projects I worked on was Pong. But it was super antagonistic. So like sometimes the ball would just break through your paddle. Sometimes it would split into two so you couldn't possibly get both of them. Sometimes you'd get a gravity effect. So it would just always come back to you and would never like make it to the oh, other side. Great. It was I a lot of it. fun. Yeah. Games that make you sad for 100, Alex. Games that are not fun to play, but fun to think about. <laughs> 
Ari, what is your favorite CSS thing? I don't know. So I'm just going to go with grid just because it satisfies the extreme laziness inside of me because I can just do all the things in one property, literally an entire layout, one property. Is it just me or does anyone here ever read FR as all the time? When they're- <laughs> <laughs> me every time I'm like for real for real okay great and then like when there's four obviously it's four for real I have but- never read it that way before me neither I mean I read it as like yeah. fur but <laughs> but actually so that is my that is my favorite thing within the entire like grid module is yeah, the fractional I guess unit. I was like, but if it's fractional unit, why wouldn't they abbreviate it FU? And then I was like, oh, that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's uh. it's uh, Josh, can we use fractional units anywhere besides grid? You can't, but in a way, the FR unit in grid mimics the behavior of everything, or I guess flex grow and flex box. So in my mind, it's like flexible Flexbox type stuff in Grid. Uh, so you, I don't think you'd need it in Flexbox. I mean, FlexGrow kind of serves a similar purpose. The mental model just doesn't work for me the same way at all. I don't mm. know why. It just doesn't. Like if I could flex and be like for real, for real at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's an outcast song, isn't it? <laughs> But along similar lines, I feel like another great one is object fit for when you need to do something with images. That's perfect. Mm, Yeah. Uh, But okay, so you like CSS maybe, or maybe you don't. But when you write CSS, it's also a trash fire. So how do you get better at it? You Google like make me good at CSS book and you buy one. And it either covers things that are way too basic or way too complex, but it's all like piecemeal stuff and not like a mental model or like putting things into a cohesive approach. Yeah. One of the problems I have with most of the ways people learn CSS, and Rachel Andrews made this point as well, that we focus on like the neat tricks and the one line snippets and the things you can take and plop into your project. And it does a cool thing, but you have no idea why it works the way that it does. And the thing that makes CSS so tricky, and I kind of alluded to this earlier in terms of like, you know, things happening behind the curtain, is that there are entire mechanisms that you can spend a decade writing CSS and just never know exists because you don't run into them. You're looking at like the output of this complex system. And sometimes you can clearly map, okay, this property leads to this output, but often things just don't work the way you expect them to. And one example of this that I think people, many people will be familiar with is absolute positioning, right? So you say position absolute, top zero, left zero. Where does it go? Well, it kind of depends, right? It depends on this concept called containing blocks. And you will have never heard of the term containing block unless you've gone through spelunking in MDN documentation or the CSS specification. It's this idea that every element has a container in flow layout and flexbox and grid. It's usually the, pa- the element's parent, if that parent is a block level element. But with absolute positioning specifically, it is the closest ancestor that also uses positioned layout, which is why if you put position relative on a parent or a grandparent, hey, top zero will now stick that element at the top of that particular element, right? So it's this thing that a lot of developers kind of pick up intuitively over the course of years, 
but without ever necessarily having this like concrete theoretical understanding of like, okay, this is what the layout algorithm is doing. And this is what this property does. We focus so much on the properties when like properties are just inputs, right? They're just parameters to a function. We should be focusing on what the function is doing because that's how you get this like intuitive understanding for understanding what these properties actually do. And so the conscious choice that I made a few years ago was when I hit one of these situations, right? You set position absolute top zero, the box doesn't go where you think it's going to go. Try and figure it out and spend some time in it, like settle into it like it's a warm bath and try to really get comfortable with, I don't know what's going on here, but I sure as heck I'm going to figure it out. It helps so much rather than the alternative, which is throw random properties at it until it mostly does what you like and then never look at this problem again. Oh, but that's a stretch. <laughs> if you spend that time. <laughs> it does work. And honestly, like legitimately, I spent many, many years doing that to great success. But that's what leads to that feeling that CSS is unpredictable and inconsistent. It's not. It's just that if you only have one of the puzzle pieces, of course, it's not going to seem consistent, right? Because there's all these other factors that you aren't aware of because they only exist behind the curtain. Part of it is like, and what do I mean by like spending the time figuring it out, right? Some of it is just experimentation. Let's try setting this property to totally different values and see what that does. See if it, if I assume I'm going to get a result, see if I get that result. And if I don't try to figure out why. And part of it is just spending time with documentation, right? Whether that's the MDN docs or the actual specification. I think a lot of people think that the specifications are like uh, way too in the weeds. And honestly, they are, right? The, I think the primary purpose of these specifications is for browser vendors to be able to implement the language. And so they're not necessarily, developers aren't the primary audience, but they are an audience. And I learned this from Rachel Andrew recently too, which is that, no, you actually are like encouraged to read them. And if you have moderate comfort with CSS, you may be surprised by how much of them you can understand and how many light bulb moments you have. Like, oh, this is what that thing actually does. That was my experience, certainly. I went into it expecting it to be like level 10 difficulty, and it was like level six, which again, it's still not easy, right? <laughs> Especially if you're new to CSS, it probably will be intimidating, but it's not as intimidating as I expected, and it helped a whole lot. Yeah, it's kind of like you stumbled across somebody's little notebook of all of their weird rules about things that you never thought about. <laughs> A lot of times CSS to me feels like playing one of those fighting games that has like the super specific combos that you can never <laughs> remember and execute in the right order. Because <laughs> I'm like up, down, left. No, nope, nope. That does the other thing. Oh, God. Because there's like Jeff, there's so much interdependence within CSS. <laughs> like if yep. you have one property set, but you don't have the other, then the first one doesn't take effect. Because you had to have the other thing. And yeah, it's usually position, but... <laughs> I'm surprised someone hasn't made a fighting game yet. Oh, God. That actually might be a decent way to learn. The other... I don't want to monopolize the conversation, but I do want to mention this before I forget. Firefox has this... It's not even that new anymore, but it is amazing where... like, Let's, for example, let's say that you set Z-index 2 on an element, and it doesn't do anything. It doesn't work. Firefox will now tell you, hey, this property has a dependency on this other property. Try setting position relative. Uh, so it'll actually tell you when you have like an incomplete set of properties now, which is yeah, the Firefox so dev tools are so yeah, that's great really for nice. debugging CSS, and also so not great when you work at a company that only develops for Chrome, because then also none of the styles work. So you you can use a tool, but you can't really use the tool. Yeah, and yet another tangent for me. 
I mean, I love Firefox dev tools and the only reason I don't use Firefox is because I'm petty from a, a CSS bug I found a while ago that I opened an issue on and they told me, nah, that's not a bug. And I'm like, oh, but it's, it is a bug though. And they're like, yo, go get the working group to change the CSS spec. And I was like, but every other browser does it the way I expected and yours doesn't. And they were like, the other browsers did it wrong. And I was like, oh. And I'm still petty. That's why I don't use Firefox. <laughs> the working group has not looked at my issue, by the oh, way. Oh, no. <laughs> See, I, I had the opposite experience, but with Chrome. Chrome had a really nasty bug in it for years. Years and years and years and years. That an animation, any style that you put in an animation could not be overridden. Even with an inlined important, you could not mm. override an animation style. I was like, this is a weird behavior. And I looked it up because I like terrible things. And I was like, is this actually how this is supposed to work? And I, so I looked it up in the spec per Josh's like, suggestion. Like, yeah, I was like, okay, let's go to the spec. Let's go to the spec for how this works. And I went to the spec. And sure enough, that is not how that is supposed to work. <laughs> You are supposed to be able to override mm. those styles. And so I filed a bug. They finally fixed it like a year and a half ago. It was very exciting. But I had a code pen and everything that I was like, see, see this? See, use Chrome. Look at that. See that? Doesn't work right. That's wrong. That's just wrong. So <laughs> I'm pretty partial to Firefox as well, mostly because I like being lazy. And Firefox has this really cool thing where if you are writing your CSS in the browser, you can just copy all of the CSS that you wrote in there and put it into your. Okay. Apparently we're going to, there's mail today. So <laughs> you can copy. Or all... someone has opinions about Firefox. Yeah, <laughs> of course. But yeah, you can just copy paste all of your, the stuff that you wrote in your browser, which is really cool. So you can just be like, all right. Yeah, cool. I love that. I love that. But to play devil's advocate or devil, if we want to spell devil with an IE instead of an I. Didn't Internet Explorer do box border box right and all the other browsers got it quote unquote wrong and were stuck with the wrong way instead of the right way? They did. That's true. Very frustrating. What? In my situation, though. <laughs> <laughs> In my situation, we commonly use kebab case for CSS identifiers. And it was like a bug in like animation like timings. In Firefox, it would parse the first minus saw, sign it saw as like, oh, this is you being like minus one second. Literally, if they would just do the last one, it would parse correctly, even if my identifier has a dash in it. But they were like, no, you cannot use CSS uh, like uh, class names with dashes in them. And I was like, that is absurd. <laughs> yeah, although I will say I, I oftentimes like to use camel case because I want to just change it in my template and my style at the same time. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> but <laughs> I just don't want someone telling me, yo, no, like go rewrite your whole app. Even though the specification says that you can use dashes in your CSS class names. <laughs> It is generally what most people do. That's specifically why I'm petty about it. <laughs> That's fair. To go back to the old way of doing things, and all speaking of things we want to ask before we forget, Josh, are you Canadian? 
I am. Yes, I live in Montreal, Quebec, uh, Eastern Canada. I think it's pronounced Quebec. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You can always tell. (laughs) I live, yeah. I mean, I think this is common for a lot of places, but if you're not from here, you call the place that I live Montreal, Quebec. And if you are from here, you call it Montreal, Quebec. So if you ever find yourself in this neck of the woods and you want to blend in. See, this is actually useful info as opposed to when Jason was on and he couldn't tell us how you pronounce Toronto. Like, is it Toronto or is it Toronto? And he was like, I don't know. I was like, why do you even come on the show? (laughs) I lived in Toronto for several years and I can confirm it is Toronto. And then, you know, if you're in Houston, Texas, everybody knows it's pronounced Houston and not Houston, except for non-locals. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Good old Houston. Delos. Wait, what? (laughs) Houston. That can't be true, Uh, If you're British, you pronounce it Homestead, but... Well, okay, no. So what it's about like the, the county I live in, right? Hold there's me, there's a street or something in New York City called Houston, but people who are not from New York think it's Houston. Yeah, but yeah. the Texas one is uh-huh. actually okay. Houston. So that is the county that I live in. I want you all to attempt to pronounce that. Decab. It's not fair. I, yeah, I know you know it. it, so it doesn't count. It was in the news around the election, right? Like, wasn't the the election results yeah. from there? Yeah. That's why I know it. It's Decab. Decab. Is it? Oh, is Ew. it? Decab, yes, it is D E that feels wrong. A L B Decab. Now there is also a Decab, Illinois. There's or a Decab like in New and York, so, so like, that's why I was like, it's probably the other way. Yeah, it is. It is Decab. I think DeKalb Ari County. wants to Decab yeah, I mean, City right now. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mississippi has so many mispronounced. Like I don't care that that's how all y'all pronounce it. That's not how it's pronounced. Like for example. There is a place that is called, I'm going to spell it out, D apostrophe I-B-E-R-B-I-L-L-E. How would you... Debbieville. D apostrophe, <laughs> spell it again? D apostrophe I-B-E-R, and then, yeah. So it doesn't really in, matter what the rest is. In French, it would be Diberville. Right. <laughs> they Deberlis. pronounce it D-I-B-E-R-B-I-L-L-E. <laughs> what? That's Are you serious? Are you serious? But maybe the apostrophe is replacing the letter E, so they're actually correct. Like they just wanted to shorten it. (laughs) I think I think that's illegal. I think it's actually illegal and everyone there should be arrested. (laughs) No, and no. Because yeah, the thing about Mississippi is they still somehow have a lot of like French named places, but because it's not Louisiana, apparently, they feel comfortable completely butchering. We have that here too. My partner is from Wisconsin, and they too have a lot of French names. So he lives in a city which is correctly pronounced Fond du Lac, right? It's Fond du Lac. They pronounce it Fond du Lac, which is fun. I think it's fun. No! There's another county here. I want everybody to pronounce that, that word for me. Hmm. Lafayette? Yeah, yeah, good, good. Lafayette? Yeah. Is it Lafayette? Lafayette. Yes. No! <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. yeah. We, I actually had a, fr- a set of friends who were arguing, and one was like, it's, it's pronounced Lafayette. He's like, no, it's Lafayette. He's like, no, no, it's Lafayette. One of them was like, let's call the county courthouse, and we will, we will settle this. And so they called the county courthouse. County courthouse person picks up and goes, hello, Lafayette County Courthouse. And he yeah, just hung up. Yeah, but that person could also <laughs> no, be wrong, no. first of all. Second of all, I think it's time to take an official vote yeah. on whether Alex should continue on this show. 
Oh my goodness. I mean, I think we should just step back and dedicate a whole episode to this. I live in Massachusetts, so like we can we can do this all day long. Oh yeah, we got a bunch of them. I feel like all of these counties are choosing violence, like repeatedly, and that's not okay. I mean that's how America was founded, but maybe that's too spicy for today. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) The reason I was asking was because you were talking about floating. And I feel like another thing that people maybe don't know, I don't know how well people will pick it up intuitively, is that about stacking context and how like the Z index isn't the only thing. <laughs> don't even get me started. <laughs> that affects whether something is on top or not. Yep. Yeah. Bane my existence. And this is another one of those hidden mechanisms that I would be, I would guess, I should do a Twitter poll, that most developers who have written CSS for a while don't realize that it works this way, which is if I have an element and I give it Z index two position absolute, and I have another element, which I give Z index nine, 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 nine position absolute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't have enough information to know which of those two elements is on top, right? If they're siblings right next to each other, then okay. But if that Z index nine, 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 nine is in an element whose parent has a Z index of one, it works like NPM version numbers, right? So it, the effective position is 1.99999. That is which a is fantastic a way of describing that. Oh, I can do December. I got it. That reminds me of a Specificity by Estelle. I believe yeah. her last name is pronounced Whale. And they've got like a lovely diagram of like how specificity works. So mind-blowing. So mind-blowing. It also, there's one about the Z index and how that works too. So I think that just blew my mind. So every time I hear it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, I I think I've been using CSS for a majority of my life. And I found out that stacking context was a thing in like 2017. And I was like, And CSS is full of these things. Hypothetical size in Flexbox is another one that is like absolutely critical to understanding Flexbox, which just most people have never heard of. And they've been bitten by this problem. It's just, it's, you have to really go out of your way to learn about it. Yeah. It's interesting too. There's this weird double-edged sword since like we've had CSS for so long and there were so many things that were used not for their intended purpose. And Mm. because we have all of these new tools, like people are learning things. But I, I had someone actually ask the other day, I need to make a layout that looks like this. And they showed an image and then text next to it that just automatically wraps around the image. And they were like, how I can't get grid to do this. How do I, how do Mm. I make this work? And I went, this is literally what floats were invented for. Like this is, this is why we have floats. We've just abused them for so long. Nobody wants to use them anymore, but this is actually the use case where you need to use a float and things like that, where it's like all of these things that we've kind of abused to make them work the way that we want them to we we are now like actually going back to like getting to use them for the thing that they were intended for table element is another good example of that where people used to use it as a design layout and then people were like no we should use divs so now everybody uses divs for everything and the message was don't "Don't use use tables so now no one feels comfortable using tables even when it does make sense because you have tabular data i use tables (laughs) Because I have tabular data. <laughs> and maybe now table captions. Tables? What? <laughs> Those table Back captions. Off. But yeah, I think it's kind of funny that CSS is inherently 
a visual thing. Like that's what it's for. And yet so many of the tools that we use to look at CSS is just text-based. Like you can add extensions to like show the color of the thing or whatever in your editor, but it's mostly text-based. Like I remember last year I was having an issue with a modal or something not showing up at the level it was supposed to, but there was like a ton of nested components and things going on. And so it was really hard to identify what the situation was. And it was a bug that a couple people had already looked at already. So I was like, I know there's a tool that shows you a 3D view of how all the CSS is stacking up. But by the time I was looking at this, the only one, the only browser that I could find that supposedly had it was Edge. They had this like 3D stacking context thing viewer but they had also deprecated it like a few versions before. And I was like, oh no, but I was still able to use it. So I was like looking at this old version of Edge and trying to see the stacking context and being like, why isn't this a thing in all browsers? You know, like being able to see that 3D view, I guess it's a huge strain on your computer, but it can also be really helpful. Yeah, I missed that tool. I I have similarly gone through the trouble of getting Edge to run on my Mac so that I could actually just use that tool. I would like to promote a Chrome extension that unfortunately doesn't give you the visual tool, but it actually does really make it easy to understand stacking context issues. So I've posted it here in the chat. Hopefully it can be added to show notes. I think actually for, because I was just talking to an Edge dev, they've added the... 3D view back in to Edge. So if you get current ah. Edge and you use the dev tools, it does have the Z index. So like 3D. the Edge version of Edge? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just looked it up. I just looked at it in my current open copy of Edge. It's there. The bleeding Edge. <laughs> <laughs> So going back to the big question, Josh, how do we get good at CSS? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is a great moment (laughs) for me to be self-promotional and mention that I have a course on the subject, CSS for JavaScript developers. Essentially, the goal is this, right? It's to try and get people to be comfortable and confident with CSS by explaining it from a mental model's first perspective. It is a premium resource, so it has a premium price tag, but there are plenty of amazing free resources as well. And in fact, uh, the web.dev team at Google recently released a free course called Learn CSS. If you search for Learn CSS web.dev, you can probably find it. Yeah, I think that this is another one of those areas where finally people are realizing that this whole like devs not having a solid understanding of CSS thing is a problem and resources are being created for that. The only thing I haven't found much in terms of like free resources is specifically around like how to use CSS in a modern JavaScript context. Although granted, if you have a if you have a comfortable grasp of CSS as a language, you can adapt it to fit whatever tools that you're using. But I do hope to see more in terms of like specifically for JavaScript developers, how do we solve these sorts of problems? How do we build component libraries and take advantage of modern tooling so that we don't have to use naming methodologies like them? And Vue does this kind of built in with single file components, which as a React developer, I am very jealous of. That's the one thing about React that has always confused me is, what do you mean you don't have a blessed way of dealing with, why do you have all of I these I think it's CSS pronounced blessed. Just like, why, why do I have to, why are y'all fighting about how you're doing styling? I don't understand. Just write CSS, what? I think I remember there were also styling libraries that came out, right? Like one with the nail polish emoji that Kent Dodds made. I don't remember the name, but I remember the nail polish. Yes, styled yes. components. Yeah. 
Honestly, I'm a big fan of it. I use style components myself, and I do think I would miss it if I didn't have it. Just because the actually kind of controversial and radical idea of style components is you don't write styles, right? And by style, I mean a selector and the braces and the actual declarations. Every style is connected to a component. So if I need a wrapper component, I'll create a little wrapper, and then my styles are intrinsically linked to this component. And it's weird to think that every component, every style that I need has to be a component. But it's actually really nice because it, it forces you not to structure things in a way where styles can be applied to the same element in multiple places. You, you have this ironclad guarantee that the only styles that affect this element are written right here other than your global styles. I mean, we have that in view and all we do is type one word. We just say scoped and then we yeah. get to write regular CSS. It is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm not going to knock that. <laughs> I've used style components. I think it's pretty good. I also like scope styles. All of these, <laughs> the choices you choose for technologies are cascading. Oh, so <laughs> it's all good. I also, I do think that these debates that we have over which tools to use are silly because we have so many good tools. Like they're all great. <laughs> if you have something that works for you, that is wonderful and you should celebrate that. Me having something good, we can all have good things, right? It doesn't have to have a single solution for all of us. I think that the, Everyone we are spoiled Alex. for choice. <laughs> that was very, they're all good dogs, Bront, and I love that. I mean, I remember when I was getting out of React, that was around the time that Kent had announced Glamorous, and there was like a lot of different potential paths on how to pursue CSS and React. And then a couple of years ago, I had to do a coding challenge in React. I ended up turning it down because it was like a very, it was the largest coding challenge I've ever seen. And I also generally don't like coding challenges, but they specified that you had to use styled components. And so I was surprised that even years later, there's still like this additional thing that you have to go learn. And we still haven't decided on a path. Not that there has to be one path, but since React is ostensibly a front end library, I found it a bit confusing that it wasn't like a, it didn't seem like a built-in consideration. Yeah. I mean, I do. That's the whole React philosophy is that it gives you as little as possible. And then you have to go find a third party package for a router and for animations. And you know, there's pros and cons with that. I will say that if you look at the NPM download stats, style components is like overwhelmingly the thing people use. Like it's five or six times the similar libraries like Emotion. It's way more than Tailwind. Most React developers have kind of consolidated around this tool. And I do think that it really is something I can see the pros and cons to in both sides. Like Vue has built in layout animations, right? Like it has built in flip animations, I think, which is amazing. And I really wish that React had something like that. But we also have so many amazing React animation libraries like Framer Motion, which just make things that would otherwise be so difficult, just like completely trivial. So it's definitely like it's, it's less beginner friendly. And for that, I feel frustrated with it. But once you get comfortable with these tools, acknowledging that it's more work, it's pretty nice. freaking cool. Yeah, I feel like that's the takeaway for today is acknowledge that you're going to have to do some work, but they're cool results. No, I will not. <laughs> uh, well, that makes it more awkward to wrap up. But with that, <laughs> Josh. No, I feel like that's a really good final thought for me. I'm good with it. Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, Josh W. Como. My last name is spelled C-O-M-E-A-U. I like to tell people that my name ends in three vowels and is pronounced like none of them, which is fun. Another one of those French quirks. I'm also, I have a blog, joshwcomo.com. And I write a lot of stuff about CSS and JavaScript there. 
Great. So it's time to move on to this week's picks. Oscar, would you like to go first? Absolutely. My pick uh, for this week are those brand new MacBook Pros from Apple. I know they're not out yet, but I pre-ordered mine and I'm hype and I know it's going to be soul fire. I will pick it again once I actually have it. <laughs> but <laughs> Pro or anti-notch? I, so, I don't have enough time to get into how I feel about it. I would say generally I'm pro-notch. <laughs> Great. How about Alex? So this week's pick is a bit weird. I've been going to physical therapy lately, and I have some wrist issues because I sit at a desk all day like many of us. And my physical therapist has been like, hey, get a lacrosse ball and like use that to like massage your muscles. So we got a six pack of them and they are amazing. Like they're very dense rubber balls and they are just lovely and perfect for like deep digging into a muscle and getting at whatever knots you have in there so there you go that is that is my pick this week is lacrosse a lacrosse ball great janelle do you have picks i do i have one pick it is a remarkable tablet Ooh, i love it so much essentially like i can write everything so i can journal I could write Slack messages, I could write notes to myself, I could live journal, I guess, whatever that may be, or plan, and send it to myself via Slack, or send it to others via Slack, or email it to myself, or just keep it in there forever, and hopefully no one steals it and takes it away from me because it's the love of my life now, so... Yeah, so it really is as good as it looks. It's like, so I, fantastic. Okay. It's like writing on paper, but like you don't have to waste paper or buy more notebooks, which is the best. It's but then it you can't so buy more good. notebooks. And it comes with like these little nubbins, and you like write with the nubbins, and they're really cute. I love them. <laughs> I always look at the Facebook ads, and I'm like, that looks awesome, but there's no way it's that awesome. Yeah, it's great, and I don't have Facebook, so I didn't even get marketed to. So <laughs> I I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was looking at it earlier this year because I had to pick like hackathon prizes and I was like, oh, this looks so cool. But charging separately for the stylus is such an Apple move. <laughs> oh, so for the Remarkable, you don't have to charge no, it. No, no, like, like you don't have to charge money. the pen. So the pen is just. Yeah. <gasps> oh, yeah, that's fair. But like, look at how beautiful. Oh, it that's is. pretty. It's just, it's just it's just there and cute and beautiful. Like, I love nice. her. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ari, what are your picks for the week? I have one pick, and it is simply the Golden Girls Quotes API. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. Cool. I uh, expect to see some projects built with it, and you can send those to at Gloomy Loomy, and for once, please do. <laughs> and Josh, do you have any picks for us today? I do. Uh, before I share my pick, I want to. Uh, Oscar was too diplomatic to share his thoughts on the notch, but I'm going to share mine <laughs> on the new MacBooks. I learned that uh, a, a question came up, which is, "What happens to the cursor if you try to go near the notch?" And it turns out it goes behind it, which offers a really nifty hiding place if you want to do screen recordings and want to hide the cursor. So that sold me on. I'm team notch now. But my pick. <laughs> is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. It's a science fiction novel, and it is absolutely delightful in terms of it's like meant to be like a slice of life kind of slow-moving fiction set in space. 
And it's absolutely charming and you get really attached to the characters and there's a trilogy and every book is better than the last one. Uh, or maybe there's four of them. There's enough that you will have a good amount of reading and it is probably one of the best series I've read in many, many years. Nice. Yeah, I haven't read it, but I think I have a pin badge collection of her books because I thought, oh, the title is really cute and the pins are really nice. But about the notch, <laughs> when you're recording, like, are you saying it literally hides <laughs> the cursor or it's just hidden behind the notch? Because then wouldn't it still show up on the recording where the notch was? Oh, <laughs> Oh, I don't know. A that's a good point. Goal. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say just record in full screen mode because then there's no. Oh, but that doesn't solve the cursor problem. Hmm. Yeah. Huh? Well. <laughs> All right. So it's time for my picks. The first one is, of course, Josh's class CSS for JavaScript developers. I've linked it. So go check it out. Also, a pick since we were talking about fonts is Comic Parchment. It is the baby of Comic Sans and Papyrus. Hopefully, they'll come out with a monospace version. Oh, God. <laughs> Play It As It Lays is a book by Joan Didion that I haven't read, but I really want to read. And specifically, I want to read the audiobook, but I can't because it's an Audible exclusive. So that is just there as like a aspirational thing. And finally, I've been watching Sweet Home, which is like a horror action Korean drama. But I don't know, the, the rules and stuff are not consistent. Like the story could be better, but I like it because it's somewhat unpredictable, but not in like a, hey, that plot change or development came out of nowhere kind of way. So that's been fun. So before we close, the most important, the most important question of the day, the most exclamation point important question of the day. What are Josh's and Janelle's headphones slash earphones. I'm going to let Janelle go first because I can't compete with that. I am wearing Logitech G733 headphones in lilac, and I have a yellow star uh, microphone cover on them. They are lovely and they make me very happy. And they have really cool gradients that move, or you can like program them to do other cool stuff. So like when you are coding and like kind of in the zone, it'll mimic what you see on the screen. So it'll be the same colors, which is really cool. It has a bunch of different awesome settings. I so like the first pair of like really cutesy headphones I've ever had. So they're very adorable. They are Yay. super adorable, but how comfortable are they? <laughs> they are so comfortable. And also, yeah, they're just, I don't know. They make me feel like, do you know like the Cassie Dew and Sailor HG keycaps? Like these these specific the keycaps? Ones. Yes. They make me feel like the actual incarnation of these keycaps, which makes me very happy. <laughs> so yeah, they're amazing. That's super cool. I use bog standard Apple earbuds that came with my iPhone from many years ago when they still came with an eighth inch standard jack. So uh, <laughs> that's like the least climactic way to end that question. But I did recently buy AirPods Maxes for the bewildering price that they cost. And I'm probably going to return them because while they are good headphones, I feel like I could get better headphones for half the price. So... That's interesting. Ooh, yes. That's been a popular head. That's actually what started this whole headphone thing was we had multiple guests with the Max. I mean, they're good. They're certainly good. With the tax, they were almost 900 Canadian dollars, which is a lot oh. more. It's a lot I mean, of Canadian dollars. 
<laughs> I think it turns into like 600 USD because the exchange rate is not favorable right yeah. now. But still, it's like, yeah, way more than anyone should spend on headphones. At least lossy headphones. That's a lot of dollars. Yeah, I use the standard, except they don't come with the mic Apple earphones when I'm streaming too, and they work. They're reliable, so it's nice. I wish I could use them consistently, but they fall out of my ears. <laughs> if I move like out. I like them basically because they don't they don't fit super snug. So I don't feel again, I don't feel like stuffy. Yeah, but then like I literally I just get like the noise of them moving uh, around in my ear and then like I can't hear. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's all for this week's episode. Uh, if you aren't following us on Twitter, go to at enjoy the view cast and hit follow and also go to at enjoy the view cats and hit follow. Be sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't already. And if you have good things to say, leave a review. If you have bad things to say, also leave a review and then don't hit submit. Or just send it to at gloomy loomy. <laughs> that too. Be sure to tell at least one friend what you learned or enjoyed about today's episode. And if you like the show, please consider supporting us on Ko-fi at ko-fi.com slash enjoy the view. Thanks for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view.